So you've heard me say, say <laughs> or you've heard it said, I should say, <laughs> the devil made me do it, right? You know, again, we are in a battle for our souls. There isn't a day that goes by that that wily, crafty serpent isn't trying to trip us up to get our focus off of God and onto the world and its pleasures. And it is something that we have to be cognizant of. We have to keep that in our minds at all times. Because if you let your guard down, what happens? You're going to end up having a fall, right? The good news is, the devil cannot make you do anything. He doesn't have that kind of power. He is powerful, but he doesn't have the kind of power where he can come and manipulate you unless you let him. Unless you open the door and give him access to your heart and to your mind. And that's something that as a Christian we have to be aware of. And when you get in the Word of God, when you pray, when you come to church, what you're doing is, is you're, you're building an armor around you. And, and one of, I just read this recently. Somebody said, if you think about the armor that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, he said everything is forward-moving. There's no protection behind them. Why is that? Because God has your back. That's true. God has your back. Our weapons and our shield and the helmet and all that, that's forward motion. We're supposed to always be moving toward God. Right? Keep that in mind as we go through this message today. I'm going to be looking at James 4. I, I went there in my studies and I felt like this was something the Lord wanted me to share. And by the way, what I'm trying to do is to build your spiritual warfare weapons. To give you tools and things that are going to help you defeat the enemy because I feel like this new year coming, it is going to be advantageous for the church, especially those who are ready. But for those who have fallen behind, those who aren't ready, I don't know what's going to happen. So I want everybody that comes to this church, that calls this church their home, I want you to be prepared so that you can get in this good fight with us, the good fight of the kingdom of God, so that we can see people coming into the kingdom, giving their hearts and lives to the Lord, and growing the church. Amen? Yeah. And as you can tell, I'm still a little bit <clears throat> raspy, but God's got this. And I'm just trusting that he's going to get me through this this morning. So would you pray with me one more time? Pray this with me. Heavenly Father, give me a heart to understand what you're saying today. Give me ears to hear what you're saying. Give me eyes to see how it applies to me. And Lord, help Pastor Norm to preach really good. And to feel better. Feel better. Amen. 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 Thank you. James chapter 4, verse 1. I talked about this already at communion, that 
The Apostle Paul, when he, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, he's actually talking to the church because of the stuff going on within the church. And now we find James doing something very similar. And, and I'm not sure what the Holy Spirit's trying to say. Hopefully it's just preventative. But this is what he said. <clears throat> what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? This is in the church. Right? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? My highlight again. Say that with me. Don't they come? You say it. <laughs> well, you do. I'm going to get another drink. There are quarrels and fights taking place in the church, past tense, and even today. Should that ever be? Never. Never. I don't use that word very often. Never. We are expected to yield to each other in love. But if you feel you're entitled to always having your way, and this is something that I've seen over and over in the church, entitlement is a real problem today. And if you feel you're entitled to always have your way, whether at church or even at home, because a lot of this stuff, it, it's taken home, then in my opinion, you're just a spoiled brat. Amen. Can I say that? Yes. Is it truth? Nobody gets what they want all the time. And, and if you do, there's something wrong. I believe God wants the best for us, but sometimes He holds things back because we, we need to buffet this. And if He always gives us what we want, then we're just going to be, as I already said, spoiled kingdom brats. Who wants that in heaven? I want people to love each other to care for each other, to give to one another. And I believe that's what James is coming against here in this passage. Notice that James says it is the evil desires that are at war within the people. Think about that. How do evil desires get into you to begin with? And I already alluded to this a little bit when I started. The person has to first entertain them, right? Hello? You must let them into your heart and into your mind. Your eyes are the eye gate to your heart. Whatever you are seeing, you're putting in here. And, and this has so many connections, and I'll get into a few of them today, but just think about that. What do you see when you go home? What do you allow into your heart? You must let these evil desires into your heart. The devil can't get in there on his own. You have to open the door. I'm reading a book titled Slaying Dragons by Daniel Kalenda. He identifies the devil as the great dragon in uh, Revelation chapter 12, right? You guys have read that. And he says that no one begins to entertain the dragon immediately. We don't just start out with, ah, oh, there's that awesome major dragon. It starts out with little things. We entertain fantasy. 
We think about things that we should not think about. Are you hearing me? And this can be anybody, young or old. What kinds of things do you allow to come into your heart and your mind? Kalenda said, usually it begins small. And as he puts it, he calls it a baby dragon or a, a pet dragon. I want to ask you today, what kind of sin is your pet dragon? Like I said, it starts small. Now, how, how are dragons born? What do they, how do they come? Eggs, right? And the thought is that when that egg is birthed into your heart or mind, what should you do with it? Let it grow? Feed it? Incubate it? Somebody sat over here. Kill it. Make scrambled eggs out of it. Because if you don't, what's going to happen? It's going to grow. And sure, it's cute at first. Here, boy, here, boy, or girl. You know, your little dragon. You, you've seen some of those shows. Oh, man, they make them look so adorable. Put your sin in that critter. Because that's what we do as human beings. We entertain it. We feed it. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows into this ominous... devil and then what do you do with it then you're in trouble not that you weren't to start with but now you're in real trouble and the idea is that we don't let sin incubate in our lives we don't allow that fantasy stage we think about it we entertain it if we do that it's going to grow Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, 28. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already, what? Committed adultery with her in his heart. This is that fantasy stage. Jesus goes on in this passage to say, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. No, he's not. <laughs> he is not saying... I don't want anybody to be coming in here next week with an eye patch on. <laughs> but the idea behind it is truth. Kill it. Whatever it is, whatever that sin is, kill it when it starts. Don't entertain it. Don't let it get into your spirit. Because if you do, it's going to grow and it's going to overtake you. Though sin begins small, eventually it grows into a full-blown dragon powerful enough to destroy you. And I know we have people in this room that can say, that's me. That's me. Hallelujah. Think of the evil that is at war within that James was talking about to be likened to this baby dragon. Kill that baby dragon before it takes you over. Now here's some good news. Everybody say, here's some good news. James wants to give us weapons to fight against the tactics of the devil. Are you ready for this? We're going to get into this a little bit more as we move on. But James 4, 2. You want what you don't have. Uh-oh. 
So you scheme and kill to get it. Now, let me just point this out. Most of you, hopefully, haven't killed somebody. If you have, hopefully it was in the right line of duty. But, how many of you have schemed and killed somebody's character or reputation because you didn't like them? They represented something that you didn't have. And you wanted what they had. So since you couldn't get it, you just make sure they weren't going to have it either. Can I get an amen? Amen. You are jealous, James said, of what others have, but you can't get it so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Perhaps others have what you don't have because... You haven't been willing to spend the time to pray for it and to ask Him for it. Don't be jealous of others just because you're not willing to pay the price to get it. Hello? Oh, I wish I was as spiritual as that man or that woman. No, you don't. Because if you did, you'd do what was necessary to get to that place. Isn't that truth? Verse 3, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And this is kind of the theme as I see it here today. The world has so much to offer in the line of pleasures. At least we call them pleasures. But this is what was said from a, a brother named Hort, his last name. He said this, he said, God bestows not gifts only, but the enjoyment of them. But the enjoyment which contributes to nothing beyond itself is not what he gives in answer to prayer. And petitions to him which have no better end in view are not prayers. Do you get what he's saying here? When all you're looking after, and a question to ask is, if you're always asking the Lord, how's this going to pleasure me? What am I getting out of this? Then you're probably moving in the wrong direction. And I, I think what we need to look at in the church is that we should be praying for others more than we're praying for ourselves. We should be helping others more than we help ourselves. It's that cross-pollination, if I can call it that. Is that that a pretty good word, Myron? Cross-pollination. He's a a beekeeper. And he he knows the necessity of having all those bees going back and forth to the plants, to the flowers, to the trees, the blossoms. Because without that, the pollination doesn't take effect and we wouldn't have the crops we have today. The church is similar. We cross-pollinate each other. We all have something to give to others. They need what we have, we need what they have. And that's the idea of the church. And when we keep this in mind as we pray for each other and we lift each other up in intercession, God moves. And you receive a blessing. Because you're doing what's right and you're asking with right motives. You're asking prayerfully the right things to ask. 
Jesus said this. He said, when, he, when asked how to pray, he said, first, you pray to the Father. May your name be kept holy. Meaning that we stay holy. Right? I don't like that one. I don't want to be holy all the time. Sometimes I just want to be bad. Bad to the bone. That's the... That's the <laughs> I got to stop laughing because it's making me cough here. <laughs> it's the dirtling side of you, yes. It's the old man, it's the flesh. And I'm sorry I'm moving so much, whoever's running the camera today. <coughs> he goes on to say, May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So who do we start with when we pray? We start with the Heavenly Father, and then we pray what? God's will. We pray that God's kingdom comes. We pray about the kingdom. The things that are important to Him should be important to us. And then we get into our own stuff. Like give us this day our daily bread and all that other stuff. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass, etc. But we start with Outward prayer to the Father, recognizing what we need to be praying for on this earth. There are people out there who need our prayers. Who are you praying for? Jesus told us to always keep the Father at the forefront of our prayers and pray that the kingdom come. That is the selfless way. I know the, the Mandalorian says, that is the way. And in God's kingdom, that is the selfless way. Say that with me. That is the selfless way. Amen. And that's how we should pray. In verses 4 to 6, James gets feisty. Now, as a preacher, you probably don't want to hear feisty preachers. Because usually it's not good. And in this case, well, you can decide. Starting with James 4. You adulterers! Uh-oh. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? My highlight, friendship with the world makes us, what? Enemies of God. I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Whoo! How many want to be a friend of the world? <laughs> we do that when we spend the majority of our time serving ourselves. Reflecting on our own life. We need to help others. We need to think outside of ourselves. Do you spend any time praying for others' needs? Not just your own. Jesus was our example. Wasn't He? He was our model. And then the disciples who followed Him. They all gave everything they had to God and the kingdom. They didn't hold anything back. Eleven of the twelve disciples were killed, martyred. And the twelfth, John, they tried several times to kill him, but he had to write the book of Revelation so God kept him safe. Right? We, today, the modern church, is no different. God expects us to be selfless. We need to freely 
give our lives back to God. Freely he gave us life, freely we need to give that life back to him and spend it serving the Lord and his kingdom. Which means you need to find your place where you can serve the kingdom of God. And, and that's not necessarily in the church walls. It can be. But whatever that looks like. You know, we've got people in this church that serve at the food pantry. What a great way to serve the Lord. To help those who are in need. That's just an example. But too often, the people who claim to be Christians, followers of Christ, do so in name only. When it comes to how they really live, they spend most of their days working to gain stuff and enjoy the pleasures that this world has to offer. Jesus spoke of this kind of selfish living and how it cost them everything. And I just wanted to share this real quick. In Matthew 16, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, how many followers are in here? Okay. Not everybody's hanging one up, but most of them. You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. That's pretty clear. You try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give your life in service to the Lord, you will actually save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with all of his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And, and I would like to stress, according to their good deeds, because that's how the church is going to be judged. Whatever good things you did, that's the reward you will get. And I don't have time to go into that, but when the servant takes what God's given them and uses that to his glory, it results in your blessing as well as the kingdom's. So the choice is simple. Number one, spend your life for God's kingdom and enjoy his reward, or to be a friend of this world and spend your life for selfish gain and worldly pleasures, which lead to death. All right, I'm skipping this next one just because I don't have time. We're getting close. James 4, 5. What do you think the Scriptures mean when they say that the Spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? Can I stop there? Let me just say this. I don't like this, uh, the way they translated this, and I, I've looked at it many different passages, but I usually go with the NLT, and I feel like it's pretty strong. However, in this case, I want to go to the TNIV, which actually translates this, and, and others do as well. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Now, I like the word jealousy because God is jealous, and that's scriptural. He tells us that. When he told the Israelites, don't go out there committing idolatry, don't worship other gods, what was he saying? He was literally saying, I'm jealous of you. I want all of you, not just a piece of you. That's the kind of God you serve and I serve. God is jealous. When we become born again, the Lord places His Spirit within us. How many can say amen to that? 
He will share us with no one else. He wants to be in you. He wants to share you with himself. But when you look at other things, other pleasures, and you bring those in, you're literally bringing the spirit of the Antichrist into you. God does not want to share that. God will not share that. When someone else takes higher priority than God in our lives, then the world becomes their friend. Hello? And they become adulterers. They sell themselves for fleeting pleasure. James is not calling the church adulterers in the sense of they cheated on their wife, although the similarity is there. And I, I got this quote from uh, gotquestions.org. And it says this about adultery. The word adultery is etymologically related to the word adulterate, which means, and this is the part I want you to get, to render something poor in quality by adding another substance. Everybody go, wow. wow. That's deep stuff. And it's truth. When you Water down what God has put in you via His Spirit. You are literally adding something of poor quality. You're diluting what God has done in you. You don't need to be diluted. You need to increase in the Spirit. And you do that by keeping yourself pure and by avoiding the temptations, the pleasures that this world offers. As I see it, James' intention with this verbiage was that the church, by going after the pleasures of this world in place of one's relationship with God, would mean that we would accept something of poor quality, thus committing adultery toward God. I don't want you to be an adulterer. I don't want myself to be an adulterer. We have been reserved for God, amen? You are consecrated for Him. Dedicated to do the things that He's called you to do. And when you invite this other stuff in, when you let those little dragons in, what you're doing is you're, you're corrupting yourself. Worldly pleasures corrupt. Then James give us, gives us spiritual weapons that will help us defeat the evil desires that war against us in James 4, 6. But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. This doesn't require a brain surgeon to figure this out. As human beings, we all like to fight our own battles. And we try to fight the devil on our own turf. Well, I'm going to get this. I'm going to overcome this. We try to use his weapons in our warfare. But God's saying, you are saved by grace. And you, therefore, can only do one thing to effectively beat the devil. You must wholeheartedly and with all your trust, and this is my main phrase today, lean into God. Lean into God. Would you say that with me? Lean into God. And this basically means, similar to what I was saying about the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, verses 10 and following, that you stand. You take your stand against the devil. 
against his tactics. And when it's all over with, you what? Stand. You keep standing. You're leaning into God. You're understanding that God's got this. When you lean backwards, it's scary to do, and I'm not going to do it because there's nobody behind me. (laughs) But when you lean into God, He's there to catch you. When your heart begins to yearn for someone other than your spouse, what do you do? Lean into God. Hello? When you feel the urge to take that next drink or that next smoke that next blunt, what do you do? Lean into God. When you desire things that others have and jealousy begins to take hold, what do you do? Lean into God. When you find yourself going after selfish gain for selfish reasons, what do you do? Lean into God. And finally, when you feel like giving up because the wars in your head and your heart are so strong you don't know if you'll make it another day, what do you do? Lean into God. And here's the good news. Leaning into God is actually spiritual warfare. That's what's required. We make it so difficult. If you read the offensive list that Paul gives us, defensive and offensive, in Ephesians 6, what you'll see is that what they're really doing is leaning into God. When we get this in our heads and hearts, we will become overcomers. What does this look like? And the next verse will help us greatly with this. Finally, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How many learned that as a kid? I didn't, but I learned it as a kid when I came to Christ. Yeah, that kind of thing. In his book, Kalenda said this. He said, spiritual warfare is anything. Let me say this again. Is that the right one? No, that's not the right one. I must not have had it in there. Spiritual warfare is anything that undercuts Satan's stranglehold over you. Can you say that with me? Spiritual warfare is anything that undercuts Satan's stranglehold over you. How many want to be set free? All right. James gives us what we need to do. Number one, admit that you need God to defeat that enemy. And the closer that you are to Him, the less the devil is going to bother you. I use the analogy of a married couple. And the more that we hang out with each other, the longer we're married, whether it's 30, 40, 50 years and beyond, the more we look like each other. We literally take on the look of our spouse. It's, it's so strange and crazy. And not only that, but we begin thinking like each other. You know, I can't tell you, and I know if you've been married any length of time, you know this. How many times I've said the very... We're sitting there watching television, and we say the exact... We, we're both like, oh, at the same exact time. Or, did you see that? And we're both looking at each other like, we were thinking the same thing. It is weird. And here's the point. The more that you 
spend time in God's presence, the more you look like Him. Submit to God is to yield to Him, to lean into Him. It's not a hard thing. It's an easy thing. But we've made it hard. God wants you. He doesn't want everything the world has to offer. He wants you. And when you want Him in an equal sense, everything starts to work in your favor. Hallelujah. That's what we want to go after. So first, admit that you need God. Lean into Him. Second, resist the devil. Say that with me. You do this when you make righteous adjustments like those that I described in the lean into God. Whatever you're facing, say, devil, get behind me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I am more than a conqueror through Christ my Lord. No weapon formed against me will prosper. These are promises given to you in the Scriptures. And when you lean into God, they're all true and they're all yes and amen. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? The final thing that I said by doing one and two, the Bible says, James said in James 4, 7, he will flee. Some of you have never experienced this. The devil just hangs around your door, kicking your behind all over the place. Well, it's time that you lean into God. Resist Him, which means don't buy into all those temptations and pleasures. Don't let Him come knocking on your door. Don't open it. The devil made you do it? No, he didn't. You let him in. So deadbolt that door to Satan and to all the worldly pleasures the temptations that he's putting in front of you, whatever that might look like. The battle of good and evil is in your heart and mind. To beat the devil at his own tricks, we must draw close to God, resist the temptations, meaning the worldly pleasures, then the devil will flee. And this is where I was going to share this with you. What feels good in the short term is destructive long-term. And what is painful in the short-term is rewarding in the long-term. The devil tries to convince you that those pleasures are, are going to help you. They're going to make you feel better. And they, they might for a short time. But what's the end result? Death. Hell. Separation from God forever. But when you choose God to lean into Him... And resist these pleasures that the world so frequently throws at us. And I don't care what you're watching. If you watch any kind of TV or read the media, you see it coming at you like a flood. And it's not all sexual. There's so many things that try to draw attention. Oh, wouldn't you look good in this car? And then you go out and you spend $70,000 on a vehicle you don't need. And, and I'm just using that as an example. I'm a car guy, but anyway. There's so many things that the devil tries to use to throw in front of us.
to get our hearts and minds on Him, on the pleasures, and not on the one that we serve and the one who loves us so much He sent His Son to take our place on the cross. The choice is immediate or delayed gratification. And by choosing delayed, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. By choosing delayed, you may not have everything on this planet. Your needs will be met. And you may not have everything that all these other people have. You won't keep up with the Joneses. But you know what? When the day comes that your heart stops beating or that the trumpet blasts and you're taken up to be with the Lord, you are going to have so many blessings. And it's all free. There's no income tax. Hallelujah. God's got it. We just got to get through this little life. This short little life. Delayed. Mm. What do you want to say here, Lord? (laughs) It's strongly on my heart just to say He loves you. He loves you so much. For some of you, this is a breakthrough day by making this commitment to Him, to submit to Him and resist the devil. By doing this today, your life is going to change forever. You're going to see the devil leave you, and you're also going to see kingdom things open up to you that you've never seen before. But it requires you making that stand taking that stand by faith and putting your trust in Him 100%. And whenever you face this kind of stuff, whatever it is, whatever your temptations look like, you just have to know as you lean into God, He's got your back. He's got you. Mm. How many need to make a recommitment to the Lord today? Just raise your hand. Hallelujah. I'm I'm lifting both mine up. (laughs) Hallelujah. You know what? I fail. I can't tell you how many times. And it's it's the dumb things. It's the little things. It's the little dragons. And I purpose in my heart today, and I hope this is your prayer with me. Just say this, Lord, this is me too. I want to kill that little dragon when it's in the egg. But if I've allowed anything to become a big dragon, today, I submit to you and I resist the devil and I know he will flee. Help me, Lord, to live for you all the days that I have left. This is spiritual warfare. And I want to be Strong, courageous, and victorious. I want to cross that finish line that Apostle Paul talks about. Help me to finish my race. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, 12 o'clock.
Look at that. God loves you, so do I. Might not have been as powerful as it was last week, but it's nevertheless important that we understand what, what spiritual warfare is all about. It's so simple. Leave here today and use it to God's glory. Father, keep us safe in our coming and in our going. Help us, Lord, to be a testament to your love, to your power, to your glory. We give you this church, Lord, our families, our lives, our ministries, everything that you've given us, we freely give it back to you and say, use us, spend us. May it bring glory to you and may the kingdom advance. We pray this again in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Shake somebody's hand that you don't know. Give somebody a hug that you do.